Hey everybody, thank you for joining us for today's episode of Real Estate Disruptors. Today we got Sean Terry with Boom. Flip with Flip to Freedom. If you don't know Sean, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, he's another big guy inside the Phoenix market, wholesaling nationwide. And today Sean's talking about all the times that he's wanted to quit. Um, now I'm on a mission to create 100 millionaires. You guys know uh, the information here alone is enough to help you become a millionaire in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. And we also know the fastest way to become a millionaire is to get really good at sales. Our sales community has been around for just a few months and our community members are already closing more sales. If you want to join a community of sales assassins, go to salesdisruptors.com. And uh, we're hiring. So, you know, we're looking for acquisitions, dispositions anywhere uh, in, inside our company. Go to disruptors.com slash hiring if you're interested in working with us. And guys, if you get value today, please hit that subscribe button. That way we can all grow together. You ready? I'm ready. All well, right. First off, I, I just got to give a plug to Steve um, for what you've done in the community, for your shows that you've done. And he actually recently, a couple months ago, came out and spoke at our at my mastermind mm -hmm. there and talked about sales and what to say. And you answered questions. You overcame objections. Um, and it was one of the most, it was so well orchestrated on how you laid out on actually closing a seller without asking for the sale, right? Yeah. To actually, instead of actually closing, they just came to the conclusion like, <laughs> okay, I just got to sell to this guy. And he right. did it. So if you guys never have actually um, seen what he does when it comes from the sales disruptor side, I highly recommend it. It's absolutely amazing. Um, if you're struggling to get contracts, this is something you must have. So I just want to give you a Shameless plug on that because it's that, that it's that good. So it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. We recorded, you know, part of it and we actually uploaded it into our community. And there's this one part uh, that <laughs> I was like, who's that screaming and laughing so loud? It's like, oh, Is that me? It was you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm loud. I know. It's right. like, you just hear a household, man. Our household's loud. We got two crazy dogs. It's nuts. So. Well, it was the part about, if you remember, they're like, well, how do you deal with open door? Do you guys do you remember what I said about open door? Yeah. Right. Wait, wait, how'd you do it? Do it again. It was like, oh, open door. You're considering working with them. And all those class action lawsuits, those don't yeah. <laughs> concern you whatsoever. I, I love the one with Zillow. Yeah. He goes, well, my Zillow property says it's worth X. And you go, when was the last time Zillow was in your house? <laughs> right? And yeah. I could just see their face on the other side of the phone going, ah, oh, good question. <laughs> yeah. No, Zillow's not coming into your house. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Zillow's not. So we talked about, uh, as this title show, is Sean Terry really quitting? Now, there's been multiple instances where quitting has been a serious consideration. Yes. So let's start with the first major one. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so just a reference is that, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and we're talking about being an entrepreneur, there are times when you will come up against a wall when you have no idea what to do, right? Yeah. You're stuck. And so I'm going to, we're going to talk about a couple different times. Mm -hmm. And the most recent one actually was uh, back in 2019, a story you absolutely have to hear and we'll talk about that here in a second. Mm -hmm. But um, so the first one was um, your first deal. So some people right now watching and they're brand new, um, they've never got a deal and they're, they've watched a couple of interviews and they mm -hmm. see the potential of what could happen uh, in this business. So I bought a course at 33 years old. Um, I was living month to month at the time and the course was $500. It, I, I had to use my wife's first premier credit card of 250 and my first premier credit card starter cards at 250 
And I bought this course. You guys were maxing out your credit cards. Yeah, we were maxing out to buy this course. And it's interesting because I was working as as in pool and landscape business. And it was a Saturday afternoon. I was driving to an appointment, um, a pool and landscape appointment. And I heard this guy on the radio talk about how you could you know, flip houses with no cash or credit or anything like that. And I was like, what a scam. You can't do that. There's no <laughs> way. And these guys are making $5,000, $10,000, $15,000 dollars checks. I'm like, that's a joke. So I actually turned the channel. I was like, well, who, who's going to listen to that? Um, but now I know is like, you know, I had that intuition, that, that thing inside. It's God kind of tugging you to flip the channel. So I flipped the channel back and I continued to listen to what he said. And, uh, he talked about this concept of wholesaling where you get a property under contract for a price and you find a buyer for a higher price and you can make the spread. And I was like, you know, I never heard that before. So I had an epiphany of that new idea, you know, mm -hmm. and that new idea of what you could do. So um, I got excited. I convinced my wife to give her, you know, give me her $250 credit card, maxed out my credit card, $500, bought the course, couldn't wait to get it. I got the course and it came in two big like black boxes, right? Mm -hmm. So I opened up the boxes and there are all these VHS tapes. So do you know what VHS is? Yes, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, so some of the like all the millennials on there like what the heck are VHS, right? So right. <laughs> had VHS and had a little binder and I took the VHS out, I put in my VHS and I sat there and I'm like at the edge of my chair and I'm ready to take notes and it comes on in black and white, right? And this is in 2003, right? So this is, 20 years ago. Yeah. So 2003, it comes on in black and white. And this guy has a big old cowboy hat on. He's talking in this Southern drawl. And he has these like, he has these like, uh, he, like uh, the cowboy he has like those bell bottoms. Yeah, chaps on. And he's in front of this board. And he's talking about, you can knock on pre foreclosure doors and you can have them sell your house. And, and uh, <laughs> like Eddie speed, you know, Eddie yeah. speed, right? Oh, yeah. He has that Southern drawl, right? So, um, so anyways, I'm like, what? And I started looking. He recorded these shows back in 19, it was like 1992, 93, you know? And he did it with this like VHS tape that some his like buddy held. And he, and these, apparently these course was sitting in his garage. So that's all I had, right? We didn't have, we didn't have Zillow at the time. We didn't have any comps. We didn't have, you know, we didn't have GPS. So skip tracing, skip tracing. So what he did is he said, buy a list of pre foreclosures you know, drive around and knock on their doors. That's the whole premise of the course. And pre-foreclosures are properties that are about to go in foreclosure. And I was like, okay. So that was the whole course. So I found a list um, and from Net Value Central, if you remember them, right? Found a list and I, uh, and I got the list and, I, and I, I, like I said, you didn't have GPS, you didn't have a car with GPS, so what do you do? So I went to, um, MapQuest, mm -hmm. remember MapQuest? Oh, so I, I remember MapQuest. MapQuest and I printed out the address and then I printed out the address to the next house and the address to the next house. And I basically lined them all together so I could drive from one house and I was following this. And I drove, I hit about, and at the time I was still doing pools and landscaping. So around my job, I was knocking on these pre-foreclosure doors. Um, the first house I went to, I, and, and th now think about this, you're, you're in, in, and here's the thing. Anytime you do something new, you want to have validation from other people. So if you and I are friends, you go, Hey, I got this great idea. I'm going to flip some houses. Um, so I went to my father-in-law and he said, uh, he, and I I'm all excited, you know, animated. I said, I got the, Oh my gosh, I'm going to make millions. I'm going to get change rich. My life. Yeah. It's going to change my life. You get this property under contract and you sell for a higher price. You can make a ton of money. And, uh, I'm all excited. He goes, 
You can't sell a house you don't own. Who told you you could sell a house you don't own? You can't do that. That's illegal, right? So I'm like, oh, crap, right? I, I didn't know that, right? And he goes, but listen, talk to my realtor friend. He's been doing it for 30 years. Um, he's an awesome guy, friend of the family. He's old, talk to him. So I called the realtor friend and, uh, and I asked him, I said, hey, I got this, this thing and da, 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 and a con contract and wholesaling and this. And um, he said, yeah, you actually can do it, um, but you'll never find a deal because all those are taken by professionals, right? They have professional teams and big businesses and they go after you know, these, 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 these houses and you'll never, ever find a deal. So that was my out of the gate, you know, of these guys. So you know how it's like you have a balloon and you're all like blown up, like I'm going to get, and then all of a sudden you just kind of deflate. Well, you have like, typically you have people that are cheering you on. Yeah. You, you already have people who are like, uh, you know, maybe it's not a good idea. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't try this, this balloon, like you said. Just yeah. It just collapsed. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so I already, I was on, you know, I was partially deflated and now I'm going out knocking on these pre foreclosure doors. So the first door I go to you know, I, I, I kind of park down the street and I'm kind of casing the place. And, you know, I, I, uh, it's, it's May of 2003. So it's kind of hot out. So I, you know, I kind of go by the house and I have my little clipboard. I have the idea of what I'm going to say, you know, and, and now guys, I'm, I'm 33. I have a daughter. I'm married. I'm a prior U S Marine. Right. So, you know, so you think I got this big, tough Marine guy that's going to go up to the house. Hey, hey, how you doing? You want to sell your house? It wasn't like that. So I go up to the house and they had this gigantic truck that wasn't parked in the driveway. It was parked like across the front of like- In the grass. In the grass, right? <laughs> so I kind of walk around the truck and he had the screen door open. Um, I mean, the screen door and then the door was open and I knock on it and the screen door kind of shakes like that. And uh, and and I'm sitting there kind of stand back with my clipboard. I'm like, hi, you know, ready to, ready to do my pitch. Um, first house ever. And this dude about- you know, I'm, I'm six foot one. You're pretty tall too. This guy was about six foot seven, six foot eight. And he had, he has skin. He was like, had skin head shaved. And he had this like, you know, uh, tank top on while his hair sticking out. You know, he had gruffy shave and he was kind of sweating. He looked pissed. And he comes up, he comes behind and this shadow comes behind the screen. And I'm like, oh crap. And he opens the door and he goes, what do you want? And I'm like, uh, and, and literally, um, I, I've never felt, more stupid because nothing came out of my mouth. I was like, uh, uh, and I was like tripping over my tongue. I didn't know what to say. And, uh, and I literally turned around and hightailed it like a dog, you know, with his tail between his legs back to my car, sped walk back to my car. I sat in my car and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, part of, part of doing something you know, and what makes you quit. And this is what happens in like, you know, in, in boot camp and also like what they do with SEAL team and stuff. They tell you all the things in the future that you have to go through to get to the end result, right? Yeah. So they go, listen, tomorrow we got to run eight miles. Then we're going to go do this. And then we're going to go do that. And then we're going to do this. So it tires you out in your brain of all the things you have to do. So I sat there in the car, it's May of 2003, you know, living month to month, you know, doing the stupid pool and landscape thing. I go knock on my first door and, um, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, how many doors do I have to knock on? How many people do I have to talk to? How many, you know, how many, you know, th how many, how many drive around? And I'm at my first house, right? And I just remember, and I sat there and I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. You know, I can't do it. So, you know, if you're brand new and you're, you might have a fan 
fan base where people are, you know, encouraging you, or you might not, or you might be just doing this yourself. You know, you're going to be at a point in time where I sat there and I literally, I was like, I can't do this. And I, I, I didn't think I had the ability. I didn't think I had what it took. I didn't think I had the the wherewithal to, to kind of do this real estate thing. Um, and I, I sat there and I quit right there before I even got started. Yeah. Now, I've been in the teaching space since 2010. I think you have two pretty close. Shortly thereafter. Maybe yeah. 18, yeah. Yeah, a, a long time, right? Yeah. So you've been, you've been a long time. I've been a long time. And I see more people that get excited about a concept and an idea, and they attempt to do a first couple things. Maybe they do a Google AdWords campaign, or they talk to us, or they do something. And then all of a sudden, they hit an obstacle, right? Or something um, doesn't just fall into place for them. And then they go, oh, I'm going to quit, mm. and throw their whole entire business out the window. Their business, their dreams. Their experience, yeah. their lifestyle, everything out the window. And, uh, and, and, and done. And I sat there in that experience and I'm thinking of all the stuff, all the things that I have to go through, all the pushups and all the, all the junk. And I'm like, I can't do this. I don't have what it takes. I, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe. And, um, so I decided to quit and I was like, you know, I'm j I'll just go back to the pool thing and I'll just, you know, couldn't do that. And so that was the first time I decided to quit. And what got me over the edge um, was I, uh, we had cassette tapes, right? And I had my car and I had like a little Nissan Murano and I, I put in the, and I had a cassette tape plan. So when I turned on the car, um, after I was kind of sitting there contemplating quitting, um, right at that time I was listening to Think and Grow Rich. So first off, you gotta inundate your mind with positive success and devour all of his shows, all the information you can. And what that will do is it will prime your mind for when things happen like this, you'll have the ability and the armor to go through it. So I listened to that and at just at the right point in time, this is another God thing, right point in time is that um, there was Winston Churchill and, and Napoleon Hill was telling a story about Winston Churchill and Winston Churchill has the famous saying of never, ever, 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 ever quit. Mm -hmm. And he emphasizes ever, ever, ever quit. And he was telling that story in such a way that made such an impact that right then and there, I made a resolution with myself that I don't care how many doors I have to knock on. I don't care if I have to wake up early and I have to go to bed late. I don't care if I have to work weekends. I don't care how many no's I get. I don't care what pain I have to go through. I am going to do this and I'm going to do it until I get my first deal. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that. And I, I didn't look at every door I knock and take everything personally. I looked at a group of doors, right? So I like, I'll say, I'm going to knock on a hundred doors and I'm going to see kind of what happens after that. Yeah. So I just went out and I just started knocking on it. It's brought probably around a hundred doors. And I finally found a guy that was willing to sell. It wasn't easy. I didn't even have a contract to sign. I had to go to Staples to go get a contract. Yeah. I didn't have comps. I didn't have app, apps or anything like that. I had to call this realtor friend and say, what do you think it's worth? Um, and I got the property under contract and I sold it. And, uh, I, and that, that's another whole story in itself. But I uh, made $11,008 in May of 2003. That was my first check. And I can tell you, don't sleep until you get your first check. Don't stop until you get your first check. Don't hesitate. 
don't just put your head down and focus on getting that first check because that is validation. And, um, you know, we're doing the vlog in there and we're talking to your team in there. We're talking and, you know, uh, cause I was a Marine and I had, you know, people around me that said, you making any money yet? You're doing it yet? Is it happening yet? And I'm grinding every single day, knocking on doors. So when you get that first check, it's validation. It's almost like a shut up check. So I'm just oh, like, yeah. shut up. You know, it's like, I did it. And it's in it. And it turns, it's a proof of concept. And it's, it's, it's something that is your first stepping stone to the rest of your life. It gives you, know? you conviction. It gives you conviction. Right. Once one area is like, I think I can do this. One is I know I can do this. Yeah. Right? You know, you can do it. You've done it. You've proven it works. Now you've just got to rinse and repeat. So you might be in a situation right now and you're watching this and you haven't got your first check yet. I want you to make a commitment to yourself. I want to look at you, look yourself in the mirror and say, I am not going to quit and I'm going to do whatever it takes legally, ethically, morally until I get my first check. If you make that type of resolution, then an obstacle, we all have obstacles. Oh, yeah. You have obstacles. <laughs> One thing we learned in the Marine Corps is obstacle is something to be to be overcome. It's not something to stop you. So obstacles could be money issues. Obstacles could could be, you know, could be lead issues. It could be hiring issues. It could be all sorts of things, right? So obstacles, you know, are, are just something to be overcome. And in the Marine Corps, they say you either go over the obstacle, you dig under the obstacle, you go around the obstacle, or you just blow through it, right? Stick grenades on it and blow it up. Um, so if you look at obstacles like that as something that you have to overcome, then it is just part of the journey. It creates your story because if 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 you just woke up and you watched Real Estate Disruptors and you Steve here and you said I'm going to sign up for this course and you know you ran a couple ads and talked to a couple people and talked to some for sale owners and you got a deal and you sold it and you made fifty grand and oh this is the easiest thing ever right? That's not a story. There's <laughs> there, what that what that's no story. You have to go through the struggle and put yourself up against the wall where. You don't think you can do it, and then you do it. You know what that does for your confidence? It's 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 absolutely absolutely amazing to go on and move on to the next. And I think there's a few different things here, right? So first, like Sean Terry, right? Like you're you're super well known, but you had moments of weakness, moments of doubt. Yeah, right. So like we all go through it. Uh, the second thing you're talking about the Marine Corps, like they don't just tell you go do this. You have people around you telling you, by the way, we're going to go do this and it's going to suck. Yeah. Here's where it's going to suck. Yeah. Here's where it's going to be painful. You're going to want to quit here. They'll tell you all of this. Yeah. And then you go through it. It's like, oh, well, Sean did tell me. Yeah. I, it was going to suck right here. Yeah. Right. And that you'll, if you, if you power through this, you'll be okay. Yeah. And the reason we're, t we're talking about this is that a lot of people are seeing Instagram or oh, yeah. Facebook ads or YouTube ads like, oh, this is going to be so easy. You can get whatever exotic sports car you want, all the watches you want, travel yeah. the world, right? Like they're promising all these things. We're saying here, those things are achievable, but there's gonna be a lot of suck along the way. Yeah, there's that whole journey to get from point A to point B that they're leaving out of the Instagram post. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like they're showing the end result or even a portion of the end result but they're leaving out that time that they're alone. It's five o'clock in the morning and they're getting up and they're tired and they, you know, they're they're they don't know what to do today because they're you know, what's the next step? And they don't have business and they don't have revenue coming in and you don't have a team and it's just you yourself and you creating income. 
right? right? You don't have a guaranteed check coming in. You're not getting, you're done with your nine to five. And now you're, you have to create money by getting a property under contract and, and finding that buyer and doing it. And that's a scary thing. You know, it's a scary thing to do, but it's also liberating to know, because if you, once you figure this out, right, and you know how to do it, you literally can, you know, make money at will, meaning mm -hmm. e even, it, even no matter what happens in the world, right, you would know what a motivated seller is. You could talk to a motivated seller. You could get a property under contract and you could sell it for a higher price, right? right? And you could close a deal because you have a skill that is, is a money producing skill you know, even if all this goes away, right? Yeah. Which is, uh, you know, which is, which is a powerful thing. A job is something to where now you're relying on somebody else to give you a, a paycheck, you know, every two weeks, right? And they have the control and the power over you. And more than the cars and the boats and the toys and the lifestyle, um, I mean, the, all the stuff is the freedom to control you, what you do is probably the most, in, most, some thing you want to strive for that yeah. that that is for me well, is the biggest thing well, you, got, some, you got kids too yeah. you know something that they can't take away yeah something they can't take away no matter what happens they can't take that away they can't take it away you can't take away that one skill and be yeah. able to, to be able to do that so um that was the first time you almost quit that was the first time yeah <laughs> i know there, there was i had that resolution i got my first deal and then i went to you know then i put my head down and and i went to work and and um so that was 2003 2004 um, came along and, um, and I basically, uh, you know, I, I, I learned how to market. Right. Um, and I'll tell a quick story cause, uh, there's a guy here local, um, and I call him the godfather of real estate. Um, I won't, I won't say his name or anything like that, but he's, uh, he's a guy, kind of guy, kind of like a little mentor. When I first started, I, mm -hmm. I call him up. His name's Ron. Um, if he's watching, he knows, he knows who he is, but, um, I called him up and, uh, and I remember I thought it was such big stuff because I was sending 5,000 postcards a month, right? I'm like, I'm sending 5,000. You know how in your mind, you know, I went from sending, you know, two or 300 a week to, you know, you know, eight, 900 a week to like 1,000 a week. And I'm like, I'm killing it, man. I'm 1,000 mails. Big freaking deal. Big freaking deal, right? I thought, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a big freaking deal. Send a, you know. So I call, you know, the godfather, Ron up, and, and uh, he, I talked to him and he goes, I said, so, you know, hey, I, I sent 5,000, you know, postcards this month. Man, what are you doing, right? You know, trying to show them up, right? And, uh, and he goes, well, I just dropped 125,000 postcards. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I, I couldn't fathom. I mean, it was the first time I was like, what? Yeah. And I go, I go, who's answering the phone? He goes, me. They said, they're coming to my cell phone, right? And I'm like, what? <laughs> so right after that, I was like, I was like, Okay, I'm sending a hundred thousand postcards. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. So I'm like, and that that was a stretch for me. That's why, you know, if he offers like some sort of training or mastermind or something, and you can surround yourself with people that are playing at a bigger level, they stretch your mind to do bigger things. You're like, wow, I never thought about that. Maybe I should try it. Mm -hmm. Um and you never would have done that on your own. I never would have went from 5,000 to 100,000 in, in at one time ever if it wasn't being surrounding myself with someone that's playing at a bigger game. So uh, I went out and uh, I dropped 100,000 units. I had a girl named Denise who was answering the phone. Phone melted uh, with people coming in, you know, with, with calls and stuff. But we, that's the first month 
in my entire career that we did over $100,000 for the month. Yeah. And that's when I correlated marketing with revenue, that mm-hmm. the correlation between marketing and revenue is that close oh, yeah. that you know, your marketing and understanding that marketing, the leads you get is a direct relation to your income mm-hmm. in your revenue. So that, that really took off. So, um, so basically the, uh, during that time, we were uh, mailing pre foreclosures because that was kind of my, my niche in mm-hmm. 2003, 2004. Um, and then what we did is we, uh, we bought properties subject to the existing loan and pre foreclosures. Um, so the seller is in pre foreclosure. We pay them three to five thousand dollars to move. We would uh, reinstate the loan for ten to fifteen thousand um, dollars. They would move out of the house. We would take over the property. We cleaned it up, and then we lease option the property mm-hmm. um, to uh, to other buyers. Right. So I built a portfolio of one hundred and twenty properties in two thousand later two thousand four. Um, actually, in uh, in all of two thousand four and early two thousand five. We had 120 oh, wow. properties and I, I was hustling. I was working, you know, I was working, you know, it was me and a partner at the time and I was working uh, literally seven days a week hustling. And cause the leads were coming in, we we're meeting sellers. They wanted to, you know, get rid of their houses and we were just structuring these deals, all these seller finance deals. Um, and we had, we had lease optioned. Um, we structured the lease options in a way where they were um, a strike price, right? Lease with option to purchase. Mm-hmm. So it was a lease, so we had cash flow, and the purchase option, purchase contract that was done with it was a strike price, say 250, and or appraisal, whichever's higher, right? So now what happened in 2005 is very similar to what happened in 2022, or actually 2021, where the market went parabolic because the the Federal Reserve poured so much money into the, uh, into the market. So the market in 2005 went crazy, you know, and what happened? We had low inventory. Um, we had um, we had multiple offers on houses. Home builders would open up. They had lotteries on houses. Um, they had um, you know uh, houses were getting bid up. Um, part of the part of the time on there, they would do escalation clauses on the offer. Um, so you get an offer and it would escalate to a certain price. Um, and all that happened exactly the same in 2005 or 2005, exactly like it did in 2021. Isn't that funny? It is. I remember they were doing escalation classes like, oh my gosh, that's back, crazy. Um, home builders are doing lotteries. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's back, crazy. <laughs> so so uh, we built this big portfolio, um, sold them all in uh, May of 2005 to November 2005 oh. to a group out of California that literally bought all of our properties and wow. they bought them in basically tranches of like 50 houses at a time. And I, I made so much money in such a short period of time because they were buying at 120% of value. You know what I mean? And we're buying below market and mm-hmm. selling at 120% of value. And they're buying these package deals. Mm-hmm. We had tenants in them. They had lease options with appraisal, whatever's higher. So they're buying these tranches of these properties. And uh, so we literally sold them all, but, but, but just a handful, a couple of them, and um, made millions and millions of dollars in a short period of time. So I'm sitting on this money. I'm like, you know, and I, I, I didn't know about quantitative easing. 
I didn't know about quantitative tightening. I didn't know about how to look at, you know, um, permits being pulled from home builders as a leading indicator for the real estate market. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about home starts as a leading indicator for the real estate market. I didn't know to look at inventory, what that looks like, mortgage applications. I didn't look at, at the affordability index. I didn't look at all these indicators that we have today and we had back then to determine where we are in the market to be risk on or to be risk off, right? So me, you know, Marine, let's just do real estate, right? I was risk on, you know, at all, at all times. So my daughter's, uh, my daughter at the time danced um, and there was a dance dad that was there. Um, I won't say his names uh, or anything like that, but um, really good guy. We became friends and he's like, we got to do land. We got, I mean, they're buying land and they're entitling it and they're turning around and selling it. And he's like, we got to buy land. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. Yeah, of course. Right. So as, as I, I took the energy that we took from like getting 120 houses. That you made a lot I, of money on. Yeah, made a lot of money on. And I was, so I was sitting on millions of dollars in the bank. And then I put all that energy into land acquisition, started a company, land acquisition, and entitlement. So we're going to land, uh, buy land, um, bring it through the zoning process, entitle it and sell it to builders, right? Um, so we started buying lots to the tune of, you know, I bought, you know, uh, 20 acres up by the Glendale Arena up here, right by, this, by the stadium and the five, uh, another 10 acres over by, um, right behind Midwestern University. Um, I, and I, we bought these other parcels to about $30 million worth of land as home starts are going down, mm. as building permits are going down, as inventories increasing. We're buying, buying these lands and we're and land and they're putting them through the entitlement process, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for civil engineers to meeting with the vice mayor to doing. So I switched from wholesaling to now I was meeting with these big attorneys and doing all this type of stuff. So then we then I, I find myself at the market now. Now it's now it's 2006 and 2007, mm. and I'm sitting on this this land with a couple partners. Um, I had this one property that was uh, right down the street here, and uh, we assembled as um, it was uh, 28 acres, um, and we we basically uh, did a plat engineer of 166 um, you know, rear entry lots on it. That we we sold the Montebolano Homes. Montebolano Homes was a huge builder back back in yeah. the day. Um, and they bought it for uh, $12 million. We were in it for $2.5 million, right? Mm. So they literally bought it. They were $250,000 they had that was, and they had a certain due diligence time frame. They go non-refundable with a quarter million dollars, and then they were going to close. I was in Disneyland, and, uh, and I got the call from Teresa, which was our, uh, from Stuart Title, our title rep, and she said they pulled out. They pulled out because of the market. And that was the first time I really felt an impact of the market. And I was literally about 30 days away from getting like another three to $4 million payday on this dirt that we acquired and, uh, and done. That was the chip that fell, mm. right? And, and, and it became really different. From that point, the market literally eroded from there. Um, the bad news came out, foreclosures happened. And I spent most of 2007 um, negotiating with our lenders 
on trying to, you know, try to, and now the, the cool thing is they were all, I had one personal guarantee for uh, $4 million. The rest of them were um, non-assets. So we gave those properties back to the lenders, including the 400,000 in this deal, 500,000, you know, 700,000 in yeah. this deal. We gave the properties back. And I had this one deal with a personal guarantee, right? So now I had to negotiate. He let us out of the personal guarantee. Mm -hmm and um, gave him back the property and helped him through the process and whatever. I still know him today, he's a good guy, um, the lender. And, uh, and essentially, I found myself in 2008. Market crashed, I'm not doing wholesaling, I'm getting away from my morning ritual, I'm drinking too much, I'm overweight, I'm kinda lost on the whole wholesaling thing, the, the core thing that I got away from. I got too big for my britches, um, I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing the things I needed. I know I had to do. And I remember, uh, you know, it was, it was crazy. I don't think I've ever told the story, but, um, my wife was a realtor at the time and she saved up probably about 200 grand at the time. And we were in the process of doing this huge house remodel, mm -hmm. right? Cause I was expecting to get this million dollar payday from this land and all this stuff and do this house. So half of our house was basically off to the, to the open, right? And we ran out of money. So I, I have my house. So I got my kids. I have two daughters at this time, my wife. Um, I'm dealing with these guys. I have no business going on. I have no deals going on. I'm, I'm literally, now we gave these properties back. I'm literally out of cash. And we have no, literally no on the side of my house. We have no, we have basically plastic to the open. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap, what do I do? So my father-in-law gave me a book called The uh, Four Spiritual Laws of Prosperity. And um, the first law talks about tithing. Now, I'm sure probably no one's ever talked about tithing on the show ever, so I'm probably the first guy. <laughs> but it talked about tithing is giving, in the Bible, it talks about giving a tenth of your income. But I didn't have any income. So I remember I went to my, my wife said, Hey, you go, you know, go to the store and get something. And I remember I go to the store and I'm coming out the store and there's this, this man and his wife and his daughter who are sitting out begging for something. And I literally give them my last $20 bill. And I was like, I gave them my $20 bill. And, uh, and I, and at that point, I remember I'm sitting there broken, broken, I've been in real estate. I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand about the market. And I'm sitting there and I, I'm, I'm lost. Um, and I'm like, what, what am I going to do? Um, so I, from that point, I committed to giving 10% of any dime that comes to my family. That's one, that's one thing I did. I started getting up early. I cut the drinking. I started to get myself back in shape. And I, I literally started from scratch as a real estate wholesaler. Mm -hmm. And I hand wrote letters, because I couldn't afford marketing, from my kitchen table, 25 a night. Yellow, I took a yellow pad of paper, and I hand wrote letters to the pre-foreclosure. I got a, that little $100 cost me for a pre-foreclosure mm -hmm. list. And I literally hand wrote letters, right? And um, at the time, listen to this, because all the land, I was going through an IRS audit. And I had, because we had so many LLCs and so many properties and stuff like that and so many things, I had a stack of bank statements and they were, they were checking every single deposit. Now that's one thing, my, my taxes are 
clean, right? So I had everything. The IRS is screwed, but the taxes are clean, right? So I went through, and they, uh, they, I was in the middle of this audit. And because, and remember, my house is open, and I'm just trying to do, we, did, we ran out of money for the contractor, so I'm stuck, right? So I'm in the middle of this audit. I, I'm, I go meet with this audit lady that's doing this thing, and she says, we've closed the file. You're good, right? And about three or four days later, a $96,000 check shows up in the mail. Completely unbeknownst, right? I, it, unexpected because they, and she didn't tell me this either, they, um, I paid too much taxes. Oh, oh actually the income that was, that was reported. Mm -hmm. So when they audited me, they found out I paid too much and they sent me a check for $96,000. Fantastic audit. It, yeah, it was, a fa it was like, yeah, you never want to get audited, number one. Number two, <laughs> if you do get audited, make sure you're, uh, they give you money, which is rare. <laughs> so first off, it's a rarity and that that ever happened. But we had literally the perfect amount of money to finish the rest of our house. We got that completed and done. And it was the, the, the first sign of brightness um, at the end. I saw a little hint of light at the end of the tunnel because mm -hmm. things started to kind of, I felt like kind of turn around. I, I, uh, I, I sent some letters. I got a deal, you know, that came in a four or $5,000 deal. And I, I got another deal. And, and, um, from that point, and that was, that was, uh, 2000, like eight, 2009, I just started building. And at the time we borrowed money from, you know, family and friends and stuff to do these deals. So I spent the better part of probably three or four years paying them back, mm -hmm. you know, um, to make good on, on. You're able to pay them back? Yeah. Pay them back. So that was, that was good. Never filed bankruptcy, did anything like that. That was all good. Um, but I had to literally unwind myself out of this mess that I got myself in because I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. right. I didn't know. That's why I'm really passionate today of talking about, you know, the market and what's happening, just talking about the indicators that I wish I would have known. And then someone, you know, their own intelligence can make their own decision, right. you know, on what so they want to do. Before we get into all that, I want to uh, do just two different things here. First, talk about the emotions, right? Like, <sighs> what would, like, you know, how long you were sitting through that? What were the thoughts that were going through it? Because look, you not only had a lot of success, like it's, it's one thing to never experience success. It's another thing to experience massive success and then get back brought down to earth. I, yeah. At least a dozen times in my career, I was like, "Oh, I finally got it figured out." <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Never. Yeah, right. <laughs> you never do, <laughs> right? So talk about like that crash landing and like the, the the emotions that you went through. I'll talk about the low point. So the low point of that whole thing is my my house is open. My um, I remember I'm I'm overweight. I'm drinking. I mean, I'm, what's I'm, overweight I'm not, for you? Overweight. Um, so I'm I'm about I'm about two hundred five right now. So I was about two forty, two fifty. I had a gut on me. My face was all chunky, you know. We're going to have to find some old pictures. Yeah, I know. I'm going to find some old pictures. But I just, you know, it's like when you drink a lot, you know, you're, you're, you're just kind of get, you know, kind of drawn and stuff. And uh, so that was a bad thing. I wasn't waking up early. I wasn't doing my morning ritual, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I was completely disconnected, sleeping in, just, just in a bad state. Not now, wanting to get up. Not wanting to get up. I wasn't, I was... I, every time, every time I get up, it I have to put out some sort of fire or deal with some sort of problem. So, so there's like a little bit of um, denial, type of just almost like almost like um, avoidance. Like, yeah, avoidance. Like you resign. Like if I get up, 
what am I getting up to? Yeah, yeah. And it was just, it was like more crap, you know, just like up again, more crap. So um, the low point was um, Labor Day, right, which is coming up Monday, Monday right? yeah. yeah, Monday. So Labor Day, it was Labor Day, 2008. So do you remember what happened in 2008? I mean, was that, was that right around Lehman Brothers? It was right around Lehman Brothers, yeah. July of 2008. It happened in Lehman Brothers, right? Mm -hmm. So TARP came out, trillion-dollar bailout. Every morning I'd wake up and I'd look at the real estate section looking for signs of hope, right? Trying to look for some sort of signs or something. Um, and uh, so what I did was, um, is I, it was Labor Day, I was sleeping in, and I get this knock on the door, right? And I'm like, oh, throw my hat, you know, have my boxers on, you know? And, uh, and we didn't have Discord back then. Um, and, uh, and I throw on my hat, and I go to the door, and there's, there's, there's like this thug-looking guy there, right? He has some tattoos on. September, it's hot out, and he goes, I'm here for the car. And have you ever felt adrenaline, like, come over you where you, like, start shaking? Mm -hmm. I'm like, like, oh. So he goes, I'm here for the car. I was like, uh, okay. So I'm literally shaking. I go grab my keys, and it was a, um, it was a Range Rover um, that I had, and I'm, like, shaking and stuff, and I'm like, and uh, and uh, I, I went to go out outside, and my neighbors are mowing the lawn, and my other neighbor, hey, Sean, how's it going? I got a tow truck in front of my house to come get my car, right? I'm sitting there shaking like this. I'm in my boxers, my hat on. And, uh, and luckily, I, I said, here, just give me a second. I called the lender, um, and I said, hey, can you, can you give me until... Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to come up with whatever the money was on it, like a, a couple thousand bucks. And he said yes. So the guy went away. I was able to raise the money to pay for the stupid car, um, and that was the low point. And and I can tell you, the humiliation of walking out there and all my neighbors in a tow truck sitting out there. It's public. Everyone knows. Public. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like. You know, and just my wife's going, what's going on? What's going on? Hey, what, what's going on? I'm like, Argh. you know, and my kids are like, what, daddy, what's going on? You know, I'm like, and I, they're in, in the adrenaline rush of just this, this fear of going through you is completely unexplainable. And, I t and from that point, I've just like, I got to change. Yeah. I got to change. Was that the wake up call? Huh? Was that the wake up call? That was the wake up call. And then that, from that, my dad, my, my father-in-law gave me that book. Was uh was quitting an option at that point? Um, yeah, I thought about getting a job, you know, going back and just you know trying to you know I I had I didn't have any income, you know, um, and I I I I knew I did wholesaling, but I didn't have any money for marketing, so I was like, do I get a job, and then go you know and, and try to do the this on the side, you know, because I need money coming in, and what do I do? Um, and I think giving that twenty dollars giving that $20, reading that book, giving that $20, um, and then making that commitment to make the change that, you know, I'm going to start waking up early. I'm going to start, you know, kind of working on myself. Um, that it, uh, that, that the, the, the tide kind of turned, and then that's when, you know, this, this audit thing closed, and I got the check in the mail, and yeah. it just kind of good things started to happen. Because a... I started to think about good things. I was, I was thinking so much about what I lost, and what um, what happened to me? And woe is me! And I was, you know, 
I was feeling sorry for myself and all this victimology. stuff. Victim, yeah, victim, 100%. And then I, then from that point, I was like, you know what? Um, and my wife, you know, she came in, she's like, you know, go to work. Stop moping around here and get your ass to work. Go. And I'm like, and you know, when your wife says that, you know, we have someone, because she, she, she believed in me and knew I could do I could do it once, I could do it again. And that's when I hand wrote letters. And I just started hustling, handwriting letters, knocking on doors if I had to, whatever I had to do go get a deal here and a deal there and a deal here and then kind of build it from there. Well, and, and another huge lesson, right, is that you're really good at sourcing properties. Yeah. You're really good at sourcing properties, turning them around for profits. Yeah. And you take all this energy that you're really good at and you put it over here. Yeah. Right? Which we all do as entrepreneurs. Yeah. It was a shiny so object. I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it, it took me down a bad path. But you know what, though? You know, I look back now, and and Tony Robbins says something. It says life happens for you, and not to you. Right, right. Um, and you've heard that before, and I'm sure other people have heard that. But you know, that is a point where it truly happened for me. Mm. You know, and I'm I'm glad that happened because it got me on a path on on how to turn my life. Otherwise, I probably would have kept drinking. I probably would have kept doing this and doing that. You know, and really not turning myself and my mentality around um, and, uh, and, and focusing on becoming a better man, right. you know, for my wife and for my kids and for my family and for the community. And I probably would have never got into the education space, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and being able to even sit here with you, you yeah. know, I wouldn't be here if that, if, if, if the kind of that stuff didn't go through. I wouldn't be here if you didn't do, <laughs> it yeah. didn't work for you, right? Because like you were the one that inspired a lot of us. Uh, and another way I've always kind of said it was like either, you know, the universe, universe happens to you or you happen to the universe. Exactly. You get to decide yes. which direction it goes. Yes. And, and, that, and that's a powerful statement. And until something you can actually pin it on, uh, 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 you know, because you're thinking the universe is so big, but you, you go back and look at an event that happens in your life and you go, you know, thank you for that event. And you're thankful for it, and you're grateful for that event, and you grow from that event instead of looking back at that event as going, "That was the worst time of my life," and I was da 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 da. You know what I mean? I'm grateful for that time that that actually happened because it made me who I am today. If that didn't go through, right? Um, you know, so that that was a, a a a critical, you know, and it almost I almost had to quit by default. You know, and if it wasn't for my wife coming in and going, get to work, you know, I, you know, I probably would have taken the easy path or trying to go get a job and trying to do this on the side. And finally, I just buckled down. And, and here's the thing. You can handwrite letters from your kitchen table. You know what I mean? You can, and you can get people to call you. They'll call you and you can get a deal. You can negotiate. You can get a property under contract. And that can create revenue because there's always buyers for properties. Mm -hmm. I don't care what happens in the market. There's always buyers no matter what. Absolutely. So that's the second time. Second time. Is there a third time? There is a there there is there there's a there there's a third time. And the third time's interesting because um from that point I I'm good at creating um but you like you're really good at um really understanding your numbers and your KPIs and your tracking and stuff like that. I was really never good at that. Um, I wanted to be good at that and I knew I had to be good at that, but I wasn't really myself good at, I had to do the tracking myself. So I read the book traction and I think that was a 
really business turning point for me because I, I had a small little, uh, I had a buddy of mine who owned a, um, a uh, like an investment company, like mm-hmm. a term of investment company, but on, he was on one side of the office, on the other side with all these little executive suites that were empty. And I said, okay, well, let me rent one of your executive suites for 200 bucks. So I paid him 200 bucks cash for this little executive suite. Yeah. Then I, I had to hire, right? And I hired Chelsea, which is my wife's niece. And so I had to pay another 200 bucks for her office. Mm-hmm. So now I have 400 bucks a month to, for two little offices. Then I, had an, I hired someone else. So I, I get to the point where I'm paying like 1500 bucks a month and I have these little executive suite offices and I have a, uh, an acquisition guy and a dispo guy and Denise answering the phone and Chelsea kind of doing some stuff. And I walk in the office on a Monday and I go, so how are we doing? Right. And they go, Oh good. Yeah. Yeah. I got a, you know, I got a, you know, a potential closing this week. I got a couple of people I'm talking to and I, I got an appointment later this afternoon and we're doing great. Right. And I go back in my office and I go, okay, we're doing great. And I, you know, go on a couple appointments myself and, and that was my business for years. It worked for years, <laughs> for years, years. I mean, I'm, I'm like, years and i'm at the time i'm recording my po- my initial stages of the podcast right during this whole thing even when i sent the hundred thousand mailers and we did a hundred grand in a month mm-hmm. it was that time no structure none <laughs> i didn't know my kpis i didn't know my average deal size i didn't know our cost per lead i just threw stuff at the wall and i hope there was revenue at the end of the month yeah for years i i i i i I ran Google ad. I did Google AdWords before even Google AdWords. Anybody knew in the real mm-hmm. estate space about Google AdWords and, um, and, uh, and, um, did that for years and years. And, and, you know, I, I put everything in one account. Right. And I wrote, you know, hopefully there was money left at the end. Great. If it wasn't, you know what I mean? So two really, uh, very impactful books is traction, right? Mm-hmm. Traction. Great book talks about scorecards and your KPIs and talks about hiring, you know, the right people for the right seats and talks about your, you know, your, your meetings to create detraction and stuff like that. So that was a critical thing that really made a difference because we started holding Monday morning meetings. We started tracking the deals that were closed and how many are are leads per deal and revenue and all that type of stuff. So we started really getting a grasp. I could look at a scorecard and go, wow, here's my business, right? right? And now I could look at where it was weak and where it was strong and start putting emphasis on how to make things a little bit better and working with the team and where to train them on sales, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if their leads per deal is high, we got to teach them on sales and how to close. If our cost per lead's high, we got to work on getting a channel that's a lower cost per lead. So, um, so really it gave me a, a, a grasp on the business. Then um, the other book was Profit First, which I'm sure you read, right? Yeah. Um, so Profit First, Two books I highly recommend. Profit First shows you how to structure your bank accounts, right? So you have an income account, you have an operating account, you have a tax account, you have a, what's the other one? A profit account, right? So you have four different accounts and, and you basically, the, the money comes in and you, and you disperse them on a percentage basis, right? Yeah. So it's funny because I go to the bank and they go, what's TREI, you know, percent, whatever, right? And they're like, oh, it's just, you know, it's, I still name the accounts. Exactly like he says. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, we've done the same. They're like, what the hell are these things? Yeah, what are these accounts with these percentage numbers and stuff like that? So, yeah. um, you know, but I've learned that profit first, a great thing. Um, and it's great when it comes to QuickBooks and accounting. It mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier to do everything you're doing. So 
all my companies are set up that way. Um, so anyway, so um, we're, we're doing this and we're growing and we're, um, we're local, right? So we're doing deals in Phoenix. Now, in Phoenix, we were dropping 100,000 mailers. I had a co-calling team. We're running pay-per-click advertising. We even did billboards at one point. Um, we did this omni-channel marketing mm -hmm. where um, we were, would try to surround the seller with everything, yeah. right? So, um, so we got to the point where our average cost per lead was about 550. Our average deal size was about 18,000, right? And our cost per deal, you know, five, and I think our leads per deal was in the like 20 range. So how much is that? It's like $10,000 for mm -hmm. cost per deal, plus commissions, plus office, plus overhead. So this is 2019, not, not, not long ago. Right? No, not long and ago. we would typically run at a probably a 30 to 40% margin, right? Which is pretty good for a business, right? It's 40% amazing. 30% is still rock solid. Yeah. Now I got my, my neighbor owns a couple businesses. Um, he owns a bar and he owns a, a grain of fabrication company. He runs, he runs one at like an 18 to 20% margin mm -hmm. and he runs it super, super tight. He runs the other one at 15% margin. Right. Yeah, I mean, like restaurants, I think are like if you're running at six percent, you're doing pretty good in restaurants. Yeah, good. Yeah, because you have food costs and so. And his his is a bar, so it's more alcohol driven. Right. He used to own a restaurant; it was at six percent. Yeah. So he did the bar, and now he's at you know fifteen to twenty. Um, but he did him over a million dollars and brought home you know one hundred fifty thousand. Right. You know what I mean? So what's great about this business is you can have higher profit margins, but only if your cost per lead is in line. Your leads per deal is in line and your average deal size is in line. Those three KPIs are literally the lifeblood of your business. If you don't know them, you must know them. They're, they're literally, that is your lifeblood. So It's um, like knowing your blood pressure if it's out of whack. Yeah. If you don't know your blood pressure is out of whack, you can. Yeah, but the thing is, if you know what's wrong, if you're sitting at like, you know, 150 over 100, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. you're, you're dead, you know what I mean? Yeah. And if you're sitting at a cost per lead at 500 and you're sitting an average deal size at 18 and a leads per deal at 25, you're dead, Yeah. right? So we, I, I came to the point and it was 2000 and we were doing a lot of business. So we were doing a lot of revenue. But when we looked at the, every single month, the profit margin just came to where, there are a couple months we were negative mm -hmm. or a couple months we may basically absolutely just break even. Right. And I'm like, okay, this can't happen. Right. This something, something's going to, this happen. is not a real business. This, this is not, it's not working. And, and have you ever been to a point where what tweak can I make? Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, what, what it, can I tweak the leads per deal? And I had, you know, you know, Raphael, mm -hmm. right? Raphael, he was probably in here in a podcast, yeah, right? Yeah. He was my top sales guy, right? And it worked for me. Mm -hmm. He did over a million dollars a year in revenue for the company. Um, but average, still average deal size was 18 grand. And his leads per deal was still 25, which was good, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, so we had other reps who were maybe at 27, 28. We'd work with them on sales training and what to say and how to close, you know, but still it wasn't enough. I mean, we literally had to cut our cost per lead down to, you know, a hundred bucks. And we had to have our average deal size go to 30,000. And we had to have our leads per deal go under 20. Now we have a business, right? So I, I sat there and I'm like, you know, what do I do? Mm -hmm. I didn't, I, I, and I, listen, I've been, I've been, 2019, I was, you know, doing it for a long time. Yeah. Right. I, I see, we've done thousands of deals. 
made a lot of money doing the business. And I slowly saw the business coming down to a point where it was at, as a, like the, you know, sirens were going off, mm -hmm. like, you know, what the heck? Um, so I had to do something. I had to do something drastic, like seriously drastic. And, and I, 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 I literally racked my brain for about three or four months in um, third quarter, right beginning of fourth quarter of 2019, right? And I'm, I'm sitting there crunching the numbers, cutting everything I could cut back, all the useless junk in the business to try to, to, try to drive profitability. And if you've ever been in business and you're, and you're looking at numbers and stuff like that, and you're going, you know, and, and you, but you, there's no, I felt like the, there's no place to squeeze. I'm, I can, I'm trying to make my guys to get bigger spreads, go get bigger spreads, but you have competition. Yeah. Everything's been maximized. Everything's been maximized. So what do you do? Well, I know the answer. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you go you, nationwide. You, you become Steve, right? You know, it's like, um, what do you do? What do you do? And I literally came to the point of, you know, maybe, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I've just run my course. You know, maybe, mm. maybe I just, you know, and I want to give a shout out to Nick Perry for mm. one thing. And I know he's been on the show. Um, and cause he, and he was an actual student that actually then I became the student of mm. his. And, um, and I reached out to him and I said, tell me about this nationwide. Right. And this was after me, like three months of agonizing, on what we could do and how we could change things and trying to work with my team and what we could maximize. And I finally got on the phone with Nick. So I appreciate it, Nick. You know, thank you so much. And uh, and uh, I asked him, I said, hey, what, you know, tell me about your business. And, and he kind of started explaining what they did and the cost per lead and the leads per deal and the average deal size. And I'm like, really? And everything's over the phone? And like, you know, and it's like, how did it done? It just didn't make sense. And so it was a real barrier, and it took me about a month to really wrap my head around that whole process, you know, of what to do and how to do it. So at that time, now we're in, you know, basically September of 2019. Um, I said, you know what, you know, I'm just going to, we didn't have any process, any procedures, any anything, really haven't told my team, right? My team's all local. They're going on appointments. I have a whole sales team. And they're going on, you know, 15 appointments a week. And it's just, a, it's a machine that we're doing. And we're bringing in contracts and doing deals, but we're not, right? right. We're, we're, we're done. So, um, and like, and like, how can I, you know, teach? So I, I didn't feel congruent by, by what I was teaching. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I, there's a disconnect there. And I, it was tough. It was like, I had a big disconnect. So I'm like, what do I do? Did I just, you know? I mean, I, I owned a bunch of, I, oh, actually, I, I, we bought an apartment at the end of 2019. I didn't, I didn't have, I had about 500 units in apartments, so financial was okay, and I could, whatever. So I'm like, maybe I'll just do another business, right? Maybe I'll go buy a restaurant, and I'll do a bar, you know, I have to worry about any of this stuff, forget yeah. that, I'll be, I'll be done. You know, and, and maybe I'll do something else. And I started looking at some other businesses, something I could buy or do something like that. And, and uh, but I love real estate, you know what yeah. I mean? And I love teaching real estate, and I had, followers and people all these years and stuff. And I'm like, you know, again, my wife's like, get to work. And I'm just like, you know what? And I buckled down and I talked to Nick and he kind of broke down their business model over, you know, I think we had a zoom call for about, you know, maybe an hour and kind of broke it down. And I was like, okay, I got it. So I did a PPC campaign national. I hit, I targeted every single state 
I hit the Every, United States. All 50? All 50. I hit the United States. When I went targeting on Google, nothing's excluded. <laughs> hit the United States. USA. Right? USA. <laughs> and I put it on. I, I, I basically created a website, national. We switched our CRM to FreedomSoft. Rob Swanson taught me to, to go to FreedomSoft. So I went to FreedomSoft. Um, and um, we went national. And we, we started getting leads in from Pennsylvania in these small little hold-down towns in Ohio and, and like Macon, Georgia, and all these like, and my team now is like, what, 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 what the heck's all, what's this, you know? So literally everybody, so I did that for like September, October, leads came in, everybody quit except three people. Wow. Right? And so I'm now, it's now December, end of November, December, right before Christmas, my whole team quits. Everyone's gone. They all like they just start dropping like flies. They can't do it because we're we're floundering to try to figure out this business model, sure. and we're contracting but then canceling, and then we're contracting more and then canceling. We didn't know how to sell it. We didn't have see. We get here. We get deals here. I had a, I had a buyer's list of 60,000 people. We'd send an email out, text us out. We sell in second, right? Mm -hmm. It'd be just like that. It'd right. be like a machine. We clock where I had. Eileen Brown, which is my title rep here, closed all of her deals and stuff, and we had a machine that was going. It was optimized. It was completely optimized, but except the cost per lead started increasing. You know, so that that was so. The procedural side of what we did was optimized to the T. Um, so we changed, and it's a complete different procedure nationally than locally. Yeah. So now I put this whole different procedure. Everyone's like, ah, and quit except three girls. Three girls, right? And um, and they stayed with me. I said, "If you guys stay with me, stick with me, please. <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna crush it. Just trust me." And they stuck with me. And um, and we got through November. We got through December. I hired a sales guy that came in at the end of December, started in January. We signed forty contracts out of the gate between myself and him in January of twenty twenty. That's more than one a day. Yeah, yeah, 40 contracts. Yeah. I was just slinging them. And it was amazing because these leads are coming in. They're all motivated. We're, I was getting deals in Detroit. The people are practically giving it to us. We take it. Detroit, right? Right? <laughs> um, so we're, slight, we're signing these contracts. We closed one. We canceled 39. <sighs> closed one. You know how much our revenue is for January of 2020? $5,000. $3,900. <laughs> and a little hodunk town in Indiana. We found... A buy, he was a gym owner uh -huh. who happened to, who's like, I'll take it. You know, yeah. we made $3,900 in January of 2020. Yeah. Now I'm sure people watching this are going, what? Right. But I had three people and I had, well, four, I had this, this one other sales guy that, that, uh, that probably went through your training and, you know, and, and crushed it. Um, but it was tough. We're struggling. Then February, we did a little bit better. We sold like two or three or four more. And then we got some more contracts. And then guess what happened in March of 2020? Little virus. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. So, had that happened, and um, at the time, the the week the country shut down, I was in the process of interviewing my now COO, his name's Josh, awesome guy, right? And he's used to making four hundred thousand a year, and he's used to running big sales teams all over the phone. Mm -hmm. I've been kind of you know talking to him and kind of before this whole pan, you know thing came along, and um, and so what happened was. Uh, I, uh, I was the, the, the country and he goes, well, what do you want to do? You want to hire me or not? Cause I got some other, you know, I got some, 
I'm like, you got other opportunities? The country shut down. <laughs> so I had, again, blind faith. And I'm like, I hired him the week the country shut down. I taught him over Zoom. And I had my team. We had Zoom calls, literally huddles every day. And we went to work. And all the people that quit all called me back because mm-hmm. they wanted their jobs back. Right. Because they didn't, their jobs got screwed, right? And they were doing layoffs. And then we're crushing and now hiring. Mm-hmm. And we, from there, started building. Um, and, uh, you know, we went out and started doing deals and started doing two a month and three a month and five a month and 10 a month and 12 a month and started growing it from there. And we really honed in our processes and our procedures and, um, and what we were going to do. So there, there was that point in, um, in that December, you know, in that, you know, November, December, when, you know, before I kind of talked to Nick of, do I really want to do, do I really want to kind of really dive in and take on this new challenge and this new business model and this new nationwide thing and this new wholesale thing and this new, it's completely new out. Cause I'm, I'm good. Like you are in person. I want to meet you in person. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to look at the house and we're going we're gonna to close. Yeah. So, um, so that, 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 that was my quitting point in, in, you know, where I contemplated in, you know, you know, in the car the first time, you know, and it took me about maybe, uh, you know, a couple, two, three hours to get out of it. And then I contemplated in 2008, that was a long contemplation to, you know, the, am I going to quit? You know, here was, a, you know, am I going to quit? Uh, was, you know, probably about maybe an hour. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, no, I'm not going to quit. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, nuts. I'm, then you get, you get, a, you get pissed and you're like, I'm going to just crush it. Right. And I'm going to go after it. Right. And attack uh, on a mission. So um, I went after it and, uh, and, and just started, and we, we started hiring people, um, started going. Then 20, 2021 happened. And what happened in 2021 at the latter part of December of 2021, there was the writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, housing starts started to climb, right? It started to, I mean, literally started to come off. Um, housing permits started to come off. And during this time, because of what happened in 2008, things happened for you and not to you. What happened in 2008, I really educated myself on what asset classes did well during the crash and um, what, how could I know a crash is gonna happen again, right? So in 2021, latter part of 2021, I saw kind of the writing on the wall. I knew something was up. The real estate market was frothy. The, um, the houses were uh, you know, parabolic. Stock market was parabolic. You know, I was like, what, you know, and I saw starting to see these indicators. Inventory started to increase. Um, you know, so we had these signs of these things that are happening. So that's when we really looked hard at, um, of understanding what happened in 2008 to cash buyers, 2007 in cash buyers, cash buyers exited the market for a better part of 2007 and 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people that were buying were bottom feeders looking for ridiculous deals. I mean, I remember doing deals in 2008 in Phoenix, Arizona, houses that were 220. I was contracting for 10 to 15,000 and selling for 30,000 that were 200,000, right? In, 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 in Maryville, right? Um, I remember I contracted a house today that's probably worth 400 Mm -hmm. for $8,000. I think I sold it for 30 or something like that. Yeah. That made that, that's what happened. So 
Um, so I saw the writing of the wall with all the indicators and what was happening. And I'm like, we've got to learn. And I told my team, I said, we're going to list every property on LinkedIn. This was kind of like kind of before anyone was doing it. And I'm like, we're going to sell every one of our properties to real estate. Mm -hmm. I said, we, so we figured out that model. A lot of help with that. Shout out to Corey Boatwright. Um, he put what's called the RBP program together and kind of showed me how and actually walked me through a transaction. Um, and then, to, you know, literally we started listing all the properties on the MLS, selling to retail buyers and getting paid through the RBP process and being 100% transparent to the seller on exactly what we're doing and what our value add is mm -hmm. in the transaction. Right. Um, and then we did that and we trained our whole team. Tell the seller we're here to make a profit. Tell the seller we're going to list the property. Tell the seller you're going to see a profit on the HUD. Tell the seller that, listen, we're going to handle all the repairs if needed. You don't have to take care of, we'll take, we're like a concierge service. We'll take care of everything. You don't have to deal with anything and you're going to get this price, right? right. So we were completely transparent. Some people said no. Some people said yes. We still signed a bunch of contracts. Um, and, uh, and then in 2022, um, you know, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I kind of moved away from that, but my phone was blowing up for people that did the fix and flip model mm -hmm. um, or did the, you know, the the contract buy and wholesale model were calling me because they were literally, their business was dead, right? Because they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't do it anymore because you know, their cash buyers weren't buying. They couldn't just mm -hmm. stick a crappy house on the market anymore right. you know, and sell it at top price and, and be able to sell and be able to do it like an open door model, yeah. right? That's why open door lost $1.9 billion. You know, that's why, you know, Zillow shut down their home buying section and lost $180 billion, you know? So, you know, so, uh, and, and offer pad stock went down, you know, 92%, you know? So um, is the reason of that decline that happened in 2020 because of these indicators, so we pivoted. Yeah. So now today um, we do, we sell everything on the MLS and we sell 90% of our deals, 99% of our deals to retail. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we have our team. I've got five sales rep. We have a COO. We have a, you know, a couple of dispo team members and I have an office, you know, over on the uh, west side right there. And and uh, and my team pretty much runs the entire operation. I do a once a week meeting for about 90 minutes or level 10 meeting there and go through all of our KPIs and numbers and dashboards. And, you know, and they have great months. You know, they have sucky months, just like just like, you know, sales, every sales team, you know, every sales team. But we're running at a 45% profit margin, which is, which is great. And our cost per lead is under hundred. It's about $85. Our leads per deal is under, it's like between 20. I have one sales rep. That's a leads per deal at 7.75 leads per deal. Wow. Right. I got another sales rep at 12 leads per deal. I got another one. that's like 25. We're working on her, but our average, the average deal size is around 20 leads per deal. Mm -hmm. So at $85 cost per lead leads per deal, 20, Right, average deal size is over thirty-one thousand dollars. Right, so you put those numbers together, it spells about a forty-five percent profit margin. Yeah, that's... which is which is which is money in this business. Now, we have one of the guys in our mastermind. His name's Jacob out of Atlanta. He has his entire sales team out of Egypt, dispo team, Egypt, and he pays them a one percent commission and pays them I don't know five dollars an hour. Right, out of Egypt, yeah. and they crush. Right. Um, and at the mastermind you spoke at, right? He was there. He's um, he, he's uh, he was he was a guy right in front. Loved your stuff, um, but he told me at the mastermind you spoke at that um, he just broke a million dollars. Wow! You know, in business, and he's running at a seventy-four percent profit margin. Disgusting. 
Disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Disgusting. I mean, guys, hello, right? <laughs> hello. What business do you know on the planet? One that you can run at 45%, right? Yeah. Number two, you can run at 74% margin. Okay. That means you do a million dollars, you bring 740. So he'll, you know, I mean, he's doing, he's doing good. I don't know any legal businesses there. Yeah. So, I mean, we're in a great business. We're in a great business. And, and um, I believe right now we're in a great market for what we do because there's more distressed sellers coming into the market. And what we do is a, is, is a, we, we help uh, for our, our mission is helping sellers out of their real estate problems. We get the vagrants that live in the house. We get the, you know, the tenants that aren't paying, that aren't responding we get the the property that's vacant, but it's an out of state owner, and they don't want to fix the property. We get, you know, the foreclosure situations that are dealing. We got one right now. We're closing on. It's like that, you know. So we get all these. We get these um, these inherited properties where you have, you know, the siblings. We have title problem problems, probates. We have to figure out title problems. So we take all the all the all the difficult deals, and we turn those into revenue. And I remember my team is like, oh, we got another deal. Blah blah blah. You know, it's like that's where we make money. Right? What? How can you? How can you? I mean, how can you make sixty thousand dollars on a deal, right? And just oh, the seller wants to sell it below market. You sign it. It's vacant. You put it on the market. You sell it. You make sixty grand. Mm -hmm. There's no now. Those happen, right? They'll come along, but where's the value add? You know, it's not a lot of value add. There's not a lot of value yeah. add. Yeah, so, no, very very few. So I want to before we go into what's going on with the market, right, and the future. Of our industry because i think those are two things i definitely want to talk about i want to take a just a quick detour because you have your flip to freedom events yeah right? i've attended your flip to freedom events uh and then we've talked about before like i just blatantly just stole your website and all your adwords right running my own ppc campaign <laughs> yeah a long long time ago because before it you works were, it <laughs> works right before you were talking about it i was like i gotta figure this out i was like oh there's a guy in town that does this i'm just copy his website right right works it works so i remember i was at an event one of your flip to freedom events and you're like yeah, so on my event days, I turn off my PPC campaigns mm -hmm. because you had a bloody day with your PPC. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about that real quick? You talk about adversity. That's funny. Things you, <laughs> things you don't. You remember that. <laughs> things you don't anticipate, but we get punched in the gut all day, right? yeah. all, all the time. You want to talk about that real quick? Cause I, well, it's me, interesting. I, we, we do these um, uh, big Flip to Freedom events. Last one we did was, I think it was 2019. We had you know, three or 400 people that come uh, to the events and, and people do a lot bigger events, but we have, we have, I mean, you know, so I'd have go on AdWords and I'd show people the campaigns and I'd show people the websites and I'd show people how to do it and what the campaigns look like and the structure and, you know, give some of the keywords and stuff and pretty much give everything away because, you know, one thing I have learned is, is if you have an abundance mentality, you know, there is no scarcity. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, but then what happened was everyone would go click on our ads you know, and our cost per lead will go up like dramatically and our lead, you know, stuff like that. So, but now I pause the campaign um, before and just tell them, say, guys, do me a favor. Just do me a favor. Just go look at other people. Find Steve Trans, you know, you can find him and just click on all his stuff, you know. Do you remember how much it was? It cost you that one particular day? Yeah, I, I can't remember the number. Um, but I mean, I think we're spending, I don't know, two grand a day. And I think, um, I think we I think we spent the two thousand dollars or three thousand dollars a day mm -hmm. doing it, and I think they're all you know just just you know just bum leads. You know? So it wasn't too bad. Well, yeah. It was only a couple grand, a couple grand. Yeah, so it wasn't that bad. 
we uh, I saw you posting some stuff uh, earlier this week about yeah. Zillow, right, and how they're doing one percent financing. Yeah. And I have not done my research on this. Mm-hmm. So what is the Zillow one percent financing? Okay. So in Zillow came out several months ago. I think it was like in June or July, where they're where they're coming out with this one percent loan, right? And it's interesting because now Rocket Mortgage and several other lenders offer this 1% loan. Um, and I think they, they released it quietly and now it's started to get on like names like CNBC reported on it and someone else reported on it. Um, but you'll start seeing that, in my opinion, become more mainstream where you'll see these different type of loan options because I just read this morning that um, home affordability mm-hmm. right now is it is it the worst it's ever been in 40 years? Really? 40 years. So for home affordability is the worst it's ever been in 40 years. So I'm I was, you know, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, 40 years ago, I was 13. Yeah. <laughs> right? Now I'm not saying the the housing was the same price 40 years ago, but the affordability was as bad as in 40 years. What you would pay? Yeah per month on your mortgage versus how much you make. Right, exactly. This ratio is completely off whack. Uh, completely off whack. So if you look at um, the Fed comes out with a home affordability chart, and, and it's, it's interesting because it's bright orange if it's bad. And in 2007, that number, the, the affordability index, got down to 70, which is, which mm-hmm. is low. A higher is above 100, like 110 is incredibly affordable. Um, 70 or below is really bad. So we're right now, I think, at like 65, right, affordability, which is considered a worse 40 years. Like yeah. It's terrible. So what impacts affordability is interest rates, of course, and home prices. So mm-hmm. we still have elevated home prices, and we have elevated now interest rates. And the Fed, they just came back out in Jackson Hole, said they're still going to be aggressive on their their 2% target. So could they raise? Could they pause again? Um, if you look at the Fed Watcher tool, that gives like a prediction of what the Fed's going to do here coming up in 24, 23 days. Um, that they're basically stating it's about a you know a 60, 40 type of thing. They don't know. The market mm-hmm. doesn't know if they're going to raise or not raise. But um, I, I think they're on this path of continue to raise because they want to uh, crash the market. They want affordability to come out. Even Fed Powell said, we're going to make housing affordable, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you make housing affordable? If, you're, if you have to raise interest rates. Bring the prices down. The prices have to come down. So something will crack. And I think, and obviously I am not, I don't, I'm not a you know, frog costinator but, um, or a futurist, but I think we're going to have a black swan event. It's going to come up here probably in the next, you know, next six to, six to eight months, some sort of black swan something. We have an election year, and we all know about, we don't want to get into politics and all that stuff. we got an election year that's happening. Um, I think there's a black swan that's going to happen here in the next probably six months or so that's yeah. going to rock the markets. Now, we look at bank closures, right? In 2008, there's $348 billion of um, bank foreclosures, right, that, that happened. Here, we've had three to the tune of $548 right? So we're already more on three banks and those banks now are basically signaling red, like ding, 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 we're red, mm-hmm. um, because they have to increase their, uh, their, their, I think their limits of, of 
of basically like, you know, their limits of cash they have on hand mm. to cover uh, their risk profiles. You know what right. I mean? So if you have something like that, you know, these banks, these small banks aren't going to survive. And I think they're trying to do a consolidation in the banks and get rid of the small banks, right? And then just gravitate toward Wells Fargo, Chase, and right. and the big ones. Make the banks are make the banks are too big to fill bigger. Yeah, make the banks are too big to fill bigger. I mean, they're the ones that they bailed out with the TARP back in two thousand eight, right? right? Yeah. Um, so so there's there's that going on, and then there's now this you know talks of this new Aries thing, uh, variant that's coming mm-hmm. out that could essentially they're talking about a new. Uh, jab that's coming out that they're going to mandate for everybody so there is some sort of black swan event that's going to happen it's either in the financial sector or in the health sector um that's going to impact now the interesting thing is in the timeline that you look at the inverted yield curve is when the two-year yield is higher than the 10-year yield meaning if you invest in something typically long term you should expect a higher yield good um but the two-year yield is inverted now meaning you'll make more money on a short term than you will a long term. So in that case, when it inverts, it predicts, it's a predictor of recessions. So if you look at that, it happened in August of 2022. So it typically takes about anywhere from 15 to 18 months Mm -hmm. for it to hit the labor market, right? So people ask, there's low inventory. What about the inventory? We have this inventory, blah, 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 this inventory, right? You know, I post on there and it goes, oh, the housing market's fine. You know, there's no inventory, right? Mm-hmm. It's coming. Inventory is coming. And, the, and they wonder, where's the inventory going to come? Well, where did the inventory come in 2007? Foreclosures. Where, yeah, foreclosures, right? But why, does, why did a property foreclose? Uh, well, people lost their jobs. People lost their jobs. And people lost their jobs through unemployment, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at the timeline of what's happening, August and you... If you fast forward 15 to 18 months, right, and it's August to August, August right now, that's 12 months. So we got three more months before we're going to start to see an uptick in unemployment or another three, you know, another, you know, there are five months after that. So we're seeing end of this year to be first quarter, second quarter of 2024, where we're going to start to see an uptick in this unemployment. Now, when you have unemployment, people go, no one's going to sell their houses because they have low rates. Why would they sell their house? They can't make their payments. Unemployment. Now, you look at credit card debt, hit over a trillion dollars, right? You hit savings rates of Americans at the lowest it's been, you know, pre-pandemic levels of the savings levels. So you look at those two things, it's it's divergent, you know, Mm -hmm. like this, of debt here, down here, you lose a job. I don't care if you have a 2.8% mortgage. If you lose your job and you can't pay... The repo market, right? Mm-hmm. You're looking at cars being repoed, right? It's like it's like shocking what's happening right now in the repo market. So you look at all these indicators and you're saying something's coming. Something's coming. Now, if you're a real estate wholesaler, you're good. Right. You're good. You're you're good. You're it's it's like we're in the best time as a real estate wholesaler, right? So if you're doing fix and flip, just be cautious. Make sure you buy low and you sell low. Right. If you're doing buy and hold, uh, I don't know if I do the Burr method right now. Right. I think I offset on the Burr method. Um, would I do subject twos? Subject twos could be good with equity, but just know there might be a uh, a, a rent decrease. Um, there will be rents that will come down. And if you stress test it and you do get a two point three percent 
and you have a stress test on it at like a 20% on your rents, then buy it. Right. Right. Then buy it. Um, I'm still looking at, 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 you know, self storage that with seller financing that we can stress test, you know, with the rents on the property and, and make sure it works. So I'm not saying not buy, I'm not saying suspend what you're doing, but I'm saying is, is just, you know, look at it and stress. What does the stress test mean? Stress test means, you know, put it under a 20% rent reduction and see what that looks like. Put right. it under a 20, 30% equity position and see what that looks like. And if you do that and this thing still pencils, you're good. Buy it. Yeah, it's just like we see a lot with uh, a lot of people right now freaking out about Airbnbs. Yeah. Well, it says you only have one strategy. Yeah. It was Airbnb. Airbnb, right. <laughs> right. If it didn't work in any other strategies, was it the right purchase? Right. Yeah. Exactly. You didn't stress test it. You didn't stress test it. You didn't stress test it what it could be. Now, if it pencils as a normal monthly rental, at, you know, as a year long rental or a six month rental with a 20% stress test and you can Airbnb it, well, now you have your downside covered mm -hmm. and you have your upside there right. and, it, and, it, and, you're, and you're all good. So um, that's why I'm, I'm kind of looking at any asset purchase right now. I've kind of been on the sidelines um, uh, for probably a couple of years now where I, you know, I see all the, you know, on social and I, I, I honestly, me too, I get kind of FOMO. You know, friends of mine that I know are buying this apartment and doing this thing and raising this and doing that and doing this. And uh, so I do get FOMO and I'm like, oh man, maybe I should you know, do this and that. And then I'm like, you know, what is Warren Buffett doing? You know what Warren Buffett's doing? I don't know what he's doing. Warren Buffett is sitting on the largest cash position he has ever had. You know, now how does Warren Buffett invest? Warren Buffett invests by waiting till there's blood in the streets. Like he did in 2008, mm -hmm. right? He, he, he made a loan to Goldman Sachs that was literally a hundred percent guaranteed backed by the government, a guaranteed a, I think a six or 7% return on it right there. And his loan was guaranteed by the government and he made a guaranteed 6% and he made up, up, upside if they did well. Can't and, lose. And, he, and he gave him, I don't know how many billions of dollars. Could not lose. <laughs> yeah. Could not lose. Right. So those opportunities will come and, um, you know, and, you know, and I know Ray Dalio says, you know, you know, they say, oh, cash is trash, mm -hmm. right? You know, but it's not, you know, you listen to some other people, cash is king, mm -hmm. you know, right? Well, now, and so. I think, you know, you're talking about now, you, you're looking around and experiencing a little bit of FOMO, you yeah. know, like you and I were in real estate, you started a little earlier, but you and I went through 2007, Lehman Brothers and TARP and all these other things. And I looked around when I surveyed the landscape looking around, it's like, oh, everyone that's doing a lot of flips got crushed. Yeah. Right. So you look at it, it's like, Monte yeah. Bolano homes, gone. Right. This is a home builder. They're out of Chicago. Huge. Yeah. They built thousands of houses in Phoenix. Bye-bye. Yeah. Small lost. home builders, spec home builders. All these builders. Gone. Gone. So we look around, it's like, yeah, it sucks. Like when we look at other people doing these things, because for the last few years I've looked around, I was like Airbnb is like, man, like people are killing Airbnbs. Yeah. Maybe I should do it. It's like, no, nah, because when, when the winds change, that's not quite the same. Yeah. So I, I, I agree. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, I think everybody, you know, and, and, and the one thing social media has really put a, I think social media is bad. I mm -hmm. think you, I think we need to use social media to um, promote our education and stuff like that, but to let social media use you because right. 
you don't really feel good. I don't care who you are, even mm -hmm. me, even you, you know, the success you've had and what you created and things like that. You know, um, you know, unless you're Grant Cardone, you know, you know, then you don't feel bad looking on social media because you're, you know, you pretty much conquered everybody else on the planet. Right. Um, but, you know, but me, I look on there and I'm like, boy, man, I'm a, you know, I, I got to get my game up. I got to do this and I should be doing that. And I suck and I got to do this. And, you know, and you still have that. And I'm like, I, I just, ah, just got to, you know, get get off it. And, you know, I, and I see my 20 year old daughter and stuff like that. And it's doing the same thing to her. And I'm like, just listen, use it for what it is. Don't let it use you and don't feel bad and try to top other people run your own race. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, you just got to run your own race. God has given you your certain gifts and dreams and thing, you know, not to, yes, you can, if you want to post it, you can post it, but just run your own race. Yeah. Play your game. It's hard. Hard to play your game. Yeah, it is. Just keep your head down and do the things you're going to do, you know? So you and I, we love wholesaling, mm -hmm. right? Giving us a lot. Mm -hmm. What's going to happen to wholesaling, you think, in the next five to 10 years? Yes. So I've been thinking a lot about that because I'm always, you know, my career um, has been in wholesaling, building a business, and then uh, teaching, right? Wholesaling. Um, so, um, you know, in, in looking at the, of what's going on in the regulation side of the market um, is interesting meaning we have to p play uh, cleaner um, than we ever had before. And we were kind of living in the wild, wild west. Well, we were um, in unknown territory for the longest time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like the, this wild, you know, wild, wild west back in, you know, um, we, were, we, we were in a small little niche that nobody really knew about. We didn't really disrupt the real estate industry. I mean, the, the, the realtor industry, because there wasn't a lot of us. Mm -hmm. Now there is a lot of us because of you and I, right. <laughs> um, and other people out there now that, you know, um, influencers are talking about, you know, this niche. So now, you know, there's laws that have come out in, in certain things in like Oklahoma and Illinois and Philadelphia and Georgia and stuff like that. So you just got to be a little bit careful in what you do. Now, could that law, propagate to federal possibly could it go state by state where each state by state just starts you know releasing things um yes but you know it, it it will be a harder game to play a game that still can be played but you will have to close on your deal you'll have to be the buyer you'll have to close on your deal and you have to be able to get it done um now interesting the novations slash rbp model um where you're uh, getting paid off the HUD on a recorded, essentially a lien release. Mm -hmm. That, I haven't seen anything about. So that could be a, like a surviving methodology that could happen. If, you know, if anyone's not doing it, I'd highly recommend looking into doing um, that type of model. Um, but um, the bottom line is, is that, you know, either A, you close on it, Right, and you're the buyer. You close on it, mm -hmm. and then you just stick it on the MLS and stuff. There's right. nothing wrong with that. You can do that all day long, twice on Sunday. Um, you know, within the certain you know marketing laws in Georgia, and you yeah. know, and stuff like that. But um, but if you're the buyer and you're gonna offer someone cash and you can close on it, it's your deal and stuff like that. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to market a property you don't own. You don't have to you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Then 
you'll, you'll be fine. So, so what are, what are two ways that could, um, that you can continue to operate or prepare for one is either a be well capitalized or B two have a lender that can, that can, you can work with the close and resell, mm-hmm. right. And have a lender in your pocket that could, that could start doing those deals. Um, or two, uh, be able to really understand the Novation RBP model where you can uh, start doing those. Those two things, I think you become essentially resilient, even if Novation's and RBP goes away mm-hmm. at some point, um, than doing just the buy and sell type of thing. Yeah. There's no reason why you just can't buy it or sell it. You know? Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? So you look at, so the number one lobbying firm, right? For the longest time, I haven't checked recently, the number one lob- lobbying firm, the NRA, National Rifle Association, yep. right? Second Amendment, all about the Second Amendment, right? Yep. That's number one. Number two is the National Association of Realtors. Right. Right? Yeah. That's the second largest lobbying wow. arm in the country, right? And I'm a licensed realtor. So every year, they just take out $35 out of my dues, goes right into the lobby. Wow. And there's a million plus realtors. Wow. That's $35 million every single year going to the coffers of the National Association of Realtors. Yep. They right. can just start paying off politicians to get their ways on certain They're things. very well funded, right? Yep. And so what you're talking about with Oklahoma, I'm not sure exactly what drove it in Oklahoma. Illinois, you had to be licensed. Um, Philadelphia was driven by one of the most successful realtors in, in Philadelphia. Shocker. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> there's this thing that's happening. And I, when I started this podcast over five years ago, I started the first 10 episodes. It was... Wholesale, realtor, wholesale, realtor, right? Because mm. I believe that there's no reason why wholesalers should dislike realtors and realtors should yeah, dislike wholesalers. No, yeah. There's no reason for it. Yeah. But it exists, right? It does, yeah. Um, and so I believe that in five years, if you haven't figured out how to close on every single deal, you're going to be in trouble, mm-hmm. right? And it, you don't need five years. You can figure this out in five months. You can figure this out in two months. Yeah. Right? Go get funding. Yeah. Go create a relationship with, a, uh, with someone that, who's got money. Right. Right. We already know how to find motivated homeowners. It's not that hard to find people with money. Right. So. Well, the interesting thing is, think about this though. Think of the opportunity. Yeah. I mean, but think about, think about the opportunity. So what if you were a forward thinker and you built those relationships today and something does come on down the line, you know, you know, literally all the wholesalers would be gone and there'd be, a handful of standing that would get all the deals because yeah. that market's not going away. Right. Distressed properties is not going away. Yeah. And you still can do your Google AdWords, but your cost per lead is not 85. It's $18 or it's yeah. 18 cents. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> it's like, and now your profit margins. And now instead of a leads per deal at 31, I mean, average deal size. So you're, you're having an average deal size of 50, 60 grand because you're buying on it, closing on it, getting the best deal and selling it. Yeah. Um, you might have a capital cost in there, but still. There'd be less competition. Less competition. Right. So really, and this is the thing that I've always said about regulation, like if it happens, who wins? Not the homeowner, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're going to get offered less because there's less competition. There's less competition. And right. we have to buy it deeper for the, for the numbers to work. Right. Homeowner's not the one that's going to win. Yeah, because they still have to sell. Right. They still need to sell. Yeah. Right? It's not that they want to sell. You know what I mean? I'm just going to listen. They, they're in a situation, they have an impending event, and they have and so with regulation in place, it's less competition. Our cost per deal goes up, capitalization costs. So it's coming out of someone's pocket. Right, right. And it's the homeowner. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the big short, mm-hmm. Michael Burry, 
You see what he just did? He shorted the S&P. Yeah, and he, the he, put, he took like 85% or he took some stupid. 92% of his portfolio. Now he did it with derivatives. He did it with, um, he bought puts and calls. Now, you know, puts and calls, you know, you can put less down and control more. Mm -hmm. So it could have been the way he structured it a little bit different. But um, that but being said, it's still $1.6 billion position, essentially, they're controlling, betting the market going, is going down, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's a big position. He probably, he got clobbered yesterday. Because um, the market went up five points, he mm -hmm. probably just took a massive hit. But he doesn't care, right? Um, so, so here's here's my here's my question to you: Is he in big short? Um, basically, had this big monster play, mm -hmm. and he had a conviction that the housing market was going to right. And his play was to do bought you know insurance swaps on all dead one. Mm -hmm. So. Bill Ackman, you know who Bill Ackman is? Uh, was, He's a he hedge fund guy, yeah, yeah. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So he had a big play um, in February of 2009, and he essentially bought puts on the S&P 500 um, to the tune of $26 million and turned it into 1.6, yeah, 2.6 billion, it. crushed yeah. it, right? Because he knew he knew something. He heard the, the thing that was coming out that was going to crash the market, and it did. Um, so here's my question to you, you know, that, that being said, we, we know something's coming. What's the big play? What's the big play? And I ask, I ask him. Mm. What's the big play right now? The big play. What's the big play? What's your, what is your big play? What's your Bill Ackman? What's your, what's your Michael Burry play? Oh, I mean, the, the problem with options is they still cost money. Yeah. Right. There might be leverage, but you still have to put a significant amount, and that that the option reduces time. It's not a permanent option. Yeah, like an ice cube. Yeah, so I know something's going to happen, but I don't know when it's going to happen. Right. That's the problem. Yep. Right. If we could time it, it'd be great. Right. I'm fully confident the market's going to go down. The the, the stock market's going to go down. Real estate, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. If you talk to me, like all of us in 2020, right? In 2020, when COVID happened, mm -hmm. right? I call it the toilet paper crisis of 2020, right? Yep. <laughs> when that happened, I was ecstatic, yeah. right? Because I was like, okay, I survived 2009. I know what this looks like. I've got money ready <laughs> yeah. to go. Yeah, well, let's I've go. Got, I've got relationships. I got money in the bank, right? I know how to source properties. Let's freaking go. Uh-huh. It did not crash. Yeah, it, it, went, it went straight up. <laughs> it went straight up. Yeah, because all the foreclosures, they just kicked the can down the road, right? right? Yeah, all the for, all the forbearances and this. I, and I I thought the exact same thing. <laughs> so if I were to bet it all then, I would have gotten crushed. Mm. Well, actually, you probably would have done well because the market did go up twenty 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 one to later twenty twenty two. I was saying like where I was going to start acquiring assets from my portfolio. Yeah, right? yeah, you would have had to buy and then sell within a year to two years. And then yeah, right. So I'm I'm looking because I was looking forward to like twenty thirty percent price corrections. And yeah, buy and keep. Right. Yeah, Just buy and hold. Stick in there. Yeah. Uh, so right now. I mean, I know the stock market's going to go down. I know there's going to be a lot of pain because you can't keep raising the Fed rate like this and have no pain. It right. just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's that's what I'm saying. It's it's you know per historically, yeah. it's you know job market is 15 to 18 months before you start seeing uh, a you know basically a loss in jobs. But like every report says, like okay, we're expecting this much job loss. Oh, we did not lose that many jobs. Okay, this month for sure we're gonna have this Actually, much. Actually, came jobs. out this morning. 
Yeah. It did go down, but the market went up. Yeah. See, is it bad news in the market? Go, the stock market goes up, but there was negative today. Yeah. But, but, but not a lot, mm-hmm. little. You know what I mean? Even GDP went down today. Yeah. So something's got to give. The problem is with options and shorts and this and that is there's, there's a window. Right. And w- I don't know when it's going to happen. I just right. know what's going to happen. So I guess if the, the big play, if there was going to be a big play, is to put, you know, 10% of your cash shorting the market. But you can't short sell the market because you still have to. It's, it's a long-term play, right? Or it's a, it expires. You can't do a long-term short. Yeah, so Michael Burry, basically, he bought puts on the, um, the Qs, QQQs, mm-hmm. which is NASDAQ and the Phi, which is 500. But he did what's called leaps, right? Mm-hmm. So leaps are long-term equity. right? So, so a leap is something that's a year out, right? So the time decay doesn't happen. It happens over a year time frame. So if nothing happens in a year, he's in trouble. He can do it, but he also can sell options against his position and collect premium if it doesn't happen. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of cool things you can do with options. Mm-hmm. And I like trading. Trading's fun. Um, um, and I do it with just risk capital, whatever. And, uh, but, but the longest I can short is a year. Oh, no, you can do long. You can, I, you, I can buy a put option on the spy right now, like two or three years out. Okay. Right. And just hold on to it and just, you know, go through the fluctuations. Um, yeah, I would say 18 months. Huh? I would say if I was going to do 18 months, it'd be the, yeah. if I was going to go hard, it'd be putting money in that we're going to, sh- we're going to go, we're going to crash. In yeah. But months. would you put 92% of your portfolio? No, <laughs> I will never put 92% of any. I love but real estate. Di- yeah. He did that. He did that in Michael Burry did it in, in 2000 prior 2008. Um, would you put 26 million? Like, like Bill Ackman did right, right before like the COVID crash. So it's got to be convicted, a convicted position, and it can't be a, a tester position, right? So, and I'm not talking really about the stock market. I'm talking about more about real estate. Um, but with, with you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about the big play because there is going to be a big play that's happening. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Warden Buffett, Warren Buffett wouldn't be sitting on his largest cash position ever mm-hmm. in history. Why would he be doing that? He could just be waiting for a correction to come in. Right, I know. So he's waiting for the black swan. He's waiting for something to potentially happen. So I think we have to be patient. And it's hard to be patient when you oh. flip on social media. Especially and you when say, you're a driving Oh, I'm doing this and buying that and doing this. There's nothing doing to that. talk about. Hey, it's Monday and I'm still doing nothing. Yeah, I'm still doing nothing, right? You know, and, uh, you know, and, it, you know, it's, it's crazy, but it's, uh, you know, so, but here, here's the thing I look at. If I'm wrong, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Then I just buy then. Right. You know what I mean? If I'm wrong and I load up on a mm-hmm. bunch of property and real estate and go do, you know, you know, some, you know, some, uh, pull out some debt on some classy apartment complexes, and capital for and all that stuff, and I'm wrong, I'm killed. You know what I mean? So, and all the investors with me are killed. I've been there, done that. <laughs> I was wrong on land in 2008, and I went all in on land, right? At the wrong time, right at 2008. So, um, I look at it now where I'm like, it, it's okay to be patient, but look at what the, the big play, what is the big play that can be? And I do think, and it has increased 20, 22% year over year, foreclosures you know, and I, I, that's where I got started in foreclosures. I believe that could be a big play, a big play, meaning where, you know, for, for guys that are, you know, doing houses and they're used to seeing houses and stuff, 
that they still will have two to three percent mortgages. And if you get them before they hit the market and become inventory on the market, you can do up get a loan for two to three percent. You can give them three or four thousand, five thousand leave. You can, you know, reinstate their loan for whatever, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. And now you have a house that you can do. And you can turn around and lease option it, mm-hmm. you know, up for a long term. And you can get cash flow. Now, the th- here's the thing: is that you get you you can do that where you get you get you get money. Um, literally, you can you can do it for break even because if you lease with an option to purchase, you can get down payment up front. Mm-hmm. You can offset some of your cost up front. It doesn't take a lot of capital to build a large portfolio. I did no, it. You did it. Yeah, I did it. I did it when you don't have you know, have a huge, because you're circulating and then you can sell property and you get a chunk and you can take that and you can literally build a $120, $30 million portfolio um, of properties. And and here's the thing is that I, I looked back historically of when the pivot happened in the real estate market where inventory decreased, right? And if you look back when the market kind of comes back, you know when that time is? Have you ever looked at the chart? I've looked at the chart. And then kind of overlay it Mm-hmm. with quantitative easing or quantitative easing. Mm. So you overlay the real estate market with quantitative easing. You overlay the stock market with quantitative easing. Well, quantitative easing is when the Fed comes in and pumps money in the market, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And if you pump money in the market, all asset classes rise. Gold, stocks, currencies, everything There's rises. just too much money out there. Is there. Yeah, you pump money in the market. So right now they're quantitative tightening. If mm-hmm. you look at the Fed balance sheet, they're basically, they're, they're basically trimming Mm-hmm. You know, their balance sheet they're right sucking now. sucking the cash out of the market. They're sucking the cash out of the market. So we're, you know, we're seeing stocks that are kind of hovering right there. But, I mean, not stocks, but you see uh, real estate kind of hovering right there. But it's going to have to correct. It's going to have to get in line um, at some point. And it could happen when these, you know, foreclosures happen. But I think there's a big opportunity. What if you built 50 houses, 100 houses of doing that same thing where you could do it with l- limited capital, and build a huge portfolio at the time when the Fed pivots, they start the quantitative easing, essentially the bottom. Mm-hmm. If you look at uh, housing starts and, and, and housing permits pulled, guess when that number started to tick up? Quantitative, quantitative easing. easing yeah. right? So think about if that's the bottom and that's our signal, because you have to wait a signal before you get in, you wait for the signal and who knows when that could be. They could start, you know, they'll quantitative ease when there's blood in the streets. Right, and they'll go. Oh my gosh, we got to come in. We got to save everybody in quantitative ease. So when they do that, then we can turn around, um, and I think, and start uh, buying some really smoking deals and build a portfolio, and then ride that. And here's the thing: most people that are probably watching this, maybe or maybe not, but um, got involved in real estate after post crash. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Most of the people I've talked to, I, I did a, I did a, I, I was in a room and and I think there was a couple hundred people there. And I asked the question, how many people got in real estate post crash? Like after 2008, 99% of the room, mm-hmm. there was one guy in the entire room of like 200 people yeah. that raised his hand. I mean, so the, the thing to learn from it is, is, is that in my opinion, my humble opinion, I'm not a podcasting or whatever, but um, do your own research. Look at when the fed pivots quantitative ease, look at what happens to the marketplace. Look at what happens to inventory. Look what happens to, all those technical indicators that we can look at and see what happens to that. And if imagine if you bought 10, 15, 20, 100 houses then, mm-hmm. right? You can ride it up as the inventory decreases, prices increases, 
quantitative easing they do with lower interest rates, you either A, can refinance them out at lower rates, still cash flow, but right. you do have low debt on it because you took over the loan, or, or you can sell them into strength and you buy into weakness, right? You buy when everybody's fearful and you sell when everybody's you know, at the height of the market. Yeah. So, you know, in 2021, that's when you sell, right? Mm -hmm. Because everyone's euphoric and they want to sell. So, um, and here's the other interesting fact. If you look historically of properties being sold, if the 2005 properties being sold on the market, um, there was 7 million. 2021, guess what the number was? 7 million, mm -hmm. right? Same, right? So that's the highest 7 million, yeah. right? Um, average is about 6 million. Guess what the low is? So 2008, how many houses do you think sold in 2008? If seven is the high, average is, yeah, close, really close, good. 4.14 million. 4.14 mm -hmm. million houses sold and the worst housing crash that you and I know. Right. So you know what that tells us? Us as wholesalers, we have people, especially for selling to retail buyers, we can sell. Guess what? Guess what's the difference between four million, six million, and seven million? What that difference is? Cash buyers. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and I was a realtor this time. Yeah. Right. And so I would show houses and there'd be lines out the door for the houses. And people would be like, Why are there so many people looking by this house? This is a housing crash. Yeah. Why are so many people looking to buy? It's like, well, if you have a good house priced right, it sells. Right. That's, that's what I'm saying. So 4.14 million houses sold at the worst housing crash in U.S. history. Mm -hmm. And that means us as real estate wholesalers, if we understand how to sell retail and we can get our deals at wholesale, sell them at retail, there is a ton of market, this market share that we can sell into. And all you got to do is a couple hundred a year mm -hmm. at $30,000, you're talking 6 million. Yeah. That's a pretty good living at 45% margin. Yeah. That's good. Oh, it's great. It's incredible. Yeah. And I think like, you know, for those of you guys that are watching this might sound like, what are these guys talking about? It's like, <laughs> this is what, when you get burned, right? Like you look around. Cause we had a lot of time. I had a lot of time to survey the landscape, right? Like yeah. all these people getting divorced, right? Cause when money's good, everyone's happy. Yeah. Money's not good. All the marriages are getting tested. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to survey the landscape. See like, you know, what the wealthy look like. Here's how the wealthy operate. Here's how the smart operators look. And then you got everyone else who's reactive. Right. We got to see that too. Yeah. So you want to be proactive mm -hmm. and you want to look and ask yourself the question, what is the big play? And then formulate the big play. You yeah. know what I mean? The other thing I think the big play is I, what, two asset classes that crushed it during the 2008 crash was student housing and mini storage. I own 760 student housing units. You know what I mean? That's why I've kind of built that portfolio. Um, and I really see a huge opportunity in storage. The interesting thing about storage is um, um, multifamily is about 70 to 80% institution, right? So it's about 20% small mom and pop, right? Um, when it comes to mini storage, it's about 60, 70% mom and pop mm -hmm. and about 30, 40% institution. So yeah. I think there's a huge opportunity in storage. The other interesting thing about storage, you can have the ability to do a forced depreciation on it quicker mm -hmm. because rents come up every month versus come up every six to six to twelve yeah. months. So there, and the facelifts you can do on it, so you can buy a Class C in a Class A neighborhood, be able to do forced depreciation on it quick, and either just hang on to it, or you could 
know, and REITs are coming in and buying. So if you can build a portfolio of those, I think that's a big deal. Yeah, I think the other one too, now that we're talking about it, is I think multifamily. I think uh, if you can get, if you can raise enough capital, mm-hmm. I think it would not be unreasonable to see a 30, 40% correction in, in multifamily. Yeah. Right. So I think that you can position yourself. We know um, uh, one of my best friends is family friends with, um, I can't remember his name right now. Um, they have a theater down in downtown Phoenix. Anyway, they bought this entire complex right off 72nd and Shea, right? That's Scottsdale Road, right? So the Northeast corner, they bought the entire complex for 300 grand, right? <laughs> in the 80s. Oh, I right? was going to say, like what? <laughs> like in the 80s. Yeah. That's worth quite a bit more. Oh, yeah. Huge. Yeah, crazy money. Right, the entire Northeast corner, like. Holy cow. We're talking like the this, the the supermarket, like all the stores, all the entire retail thing, that entire corner, right? 300 grand. So well, I mean, it's like I, I, um, Bob Parsons, mm-hmm. um, bought the complex that I'm in, mm-hmm. right? And um, the builder built it for thirty million. It was valued at forty, fifty million in two thousand five. And they have a zip center in there. They have bodega, the pizza place. They have uh, biscuits, which is a breakfast joint mm-hmm. in there. They have coffee shops and other stuff like that. Um, so, so it's a pretty big center. Um, and uh, so he bought it at the auction cash for 8 million bucks. Now it's worth about a hundred million. Easy. I mean, so it's like those, I think become the big plays. I think that the things we really got to do is be friendly with capital. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been building relationships with capital, right. You know, and and supporting capital, (laughs) you know, and uh, basically uh, building relationships with capital. Cause when those opportunities come, you know, there's going to be incredible opportunities to be able to do something that would normally take years to do. You can, you know, years and years and years and years to do to acquire and, and, and enforce, appreciate and get that value that can do in, you know, you know, like 12 to 18 months. You know what right. I mean? Like to be fast, super fast. Um, there's something that I learned from a mentor, right? Like um, if you have deals, right, you should be able to sell them. You should have be able to sell them, right? If you have money, deals will find you. Yeah. Deals will find you if you have money. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, if you know marketing and what we do as a real estate wholesaler, you can find the deals, right? You can direct mail them, right? You can PPC them. You can cold call them. Their deals, the deals are out there. And and as the market continues to erode, smart people that have asset classes like those, they see the writing on the wall. They're not stupid. No. Right. So they're going, eh, maybe it's a time I'm 80 years old. I own this storage unit now. You know, it's uh, it's a hundred thousand square foot. And maybe maybe I should just exit. And they don't want to put their capital 1031 into another building. Mm-hmm. Right. So they'd rather sell or carry at a good rate, stress test the heck out of it. Right. And if the number's still pencil, then you can pull the trigger. Absolutely. You know, and I, I look at it like that. And I think if we look at stuff like that, then we still we still not inhibiting the opportunity, but we're also capitalizing on, um, I think, the opportunity of the narrative in the market right now. Yeah, got it. So we're coming up uh, past an hour and a half. So oh wow, actually I think we're coming up. Well, you, you talk too much. <laughs> I'm sorry. My apologies. My apologies. <laughs> so I want to wrap up. I want you to think about something you want to leave all the listeners with. Um, guys, if you got value today, I mean, this is such an honor for myself. 
to, to be able to sit down with Sean. If you have value today, please subscribe. Don't keep us a secret. The more people, the more you subscribe, the more people will actually see this. Um, and then we do have our uh, sales leadership event coming up nice. in just a few weeks. So if you guys, if you guys are interested in learning how to get your salespeople to work as hard as you, the business owner, text leaders to three three seven seven seven. Nice. Uh, what last thoughts would you like to leave all the listeners with? I think probably, you know, as a real estate, as an entrepreneur itself, you know. You are the visionary and also the implementer at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you have kind of them both. So being a visionary, you have to be crystal clear on where you're going to go. Because if you are not crystal clear on the direction you're going to go and you can't convey it, then you can't uh, attract people to want to get in your boat. You see what I'm saying? Now, what happens is you also have to be an implementer to a, a, a degree where you're going to have to get in, you're going to have to row yourself. Mm -hmm. At times, you're going to have to get in and row. But there will be rough waters, right? You're going to come into dark clouds. You're going to have rough waters. And that's when you have to have faith, right? You have to have faith that you are doing the right thing, and you're moving forward, and you are grounded, and you have belief in yourself, in your ability, in God, whatever you want to believe in. And if you have that faith, and you continue forward, and you are relentless about never giving up, then success becomes inevitable, right? I had three opportunities and probably more over my career to give up, right? And if I would have give, given up on the first one, I would never be here today. If I would have given up on the, you know, the, the second time, I would have never been here today. You know what I mean? And even if I probably given up on my third time, I would have never been here today. So yeah. it's an honor for me to be here. Um, to watch your shows and what you produce and the content you produce. Um, and if, if you're in, if you realize you're going to be in the storm and you have that faith in your, your, your strong in your vision and your goal and what you want to accomplish, then, you know, you'll handle the storm and you'll do it in a way where you might have an exterior, you know, or, um, yeah, almost like an exterior type of circumstances and turmoil, and it might be dark and clouds, but inside, you're going to be poised. Mm -hmm. Inside, you're going to be calm. You're going to be, you're going to be grateful. You're going to be happy, even through the tough times. If you can operate in that manner, it's a great thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, in, in, in having that element of faith, of knowing that things happen for you and not to you, and uh, it is a kind universe, it is kind, and uh, then you will end up on the other side and everything is, will turn out okay. Might suck for a little bit, but it'll be okay. It will be okay. Right? It always People get out. all worked up and tension and oh, and they can't sleep, and they stress, you know what I mean? Take a deep breath. Have some faith. I mean, it's going to be okay. Now, for me, I give it to God. Give it to God. Put it in His hands. And you know what? He's never let me down. Yeah, absolutely. Someone, want, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, you can just hit me at flip the number two. Uh, actually, just go to uh, Instagram. Um, look up Sean Terry. Flip to freedom. Um, just message me. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor. Great job. Isn't he the best interviewer? <laughs>
Chris, best looking guy. <laughs> Wouldn't go that far. I like the first part. <laughs> Steve Train. Jump on the Steve Train. We real estate disruptors. 